Welcome to the Garden Culture Podcast, hosted by me, Bailey Van Tassel. I'm a self-taught gardener, busy wife and mother, and small business owner on a mission to live a garden-inspired life. Each month, we will explore what's going on in the garden and fields, as well as get to know incredible people who infuse their own lives with the magic of the garden. For more information on any techniques, recipes, or ideas mentioned here, please visit us at baileyvantassel.com slash podcast. Hello, ladies. How are you? So good. Thanks for having me. I am so grateful to have you guys. And I know we just had a little pre-chat. Everybody knows there's always like the pre-chat before the chat. But it's so fun to just talk to familiar voices. Thank you so much for having us. Such a treat to be here. It is truly my pleasure. So normally I have my guests introduce themselves, but I want to introduce you guys because I feel so proud. So having known Boo for years and following your guys' journey as sisters and into business owners, I'm just so, so proud. But and you guys can fill in any gaps, but it, it, you guys own Lady and Larder, a sister-owned cheese shop, but it's not just a cheese shop. Um, you can order charcuterie and DIY boxes, cut cheese and meats, flowers, wine, etc. And you've made such an impact in your community. I mean, I've seen you guys do like William Sonoma collaborations published in New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Like you have really, I feel like found this special niche and this really beautiful concept. And I'm just really excited to hear about it among other things. But is that sort of how you would define yourselves in just the aspect of Lady and Larder? Totally. (laughs) I think you're dead on. Great job. Um, the number one, the number one thing we get that happened to me this morning at the farmer's market, someone said, what's your business? And I always say, oh, we're a little cheese shop. And I don't know why, but nine out of 10 times, the response back is, I love tea. I'm a huge Earl Grey fan. (laughs) And then I go, and then I have to decide in that moment to be like, I love tea too. I'm really into matcha or like do the whole, like, it's actually cheese, not tea. (laughs) But we call it, we, we call it, we always open with it's, it really is like this, a little jewel box shop. It's tiny. And it's a full service cheese shop. I think what makes us special is that we're 100% domestic. So we use zero imported products. We are all um, all U.S. made, mostly small batch, cheese and charcuterie. All the flowers and produce we use are grown within 100 miles of the shop. Wow. Our wine program is a natural wine program, 85% California. And everything kind of follows that same ethos, like small makers from as local as we can get. And we always say it's just the best stuff we can get our hands on all of our favorite things. We, we always call the shop our, our little dream shop, right, Boo? Absolutely. I feel like we just get so excited. We kind of just get to champion all of these farmers and people that are like doing really cool things that we love and that, um, we kind of see ourselves just as kind of that middle person that can help them get into the hands of people. Um, yeah, we're I, like the storytellers, the cheerleaders for all these other cool people. Yeah. It's so important because um, with without you know shops that support and, and people that support the shops, obviously, I think a lot of these smaller makers, um, that's why you're seeing less and less of them. I think it's really difficult to like, you know, obviously farm and and run a business that way. And it's there's less and less like generations that are taking over that. Yeah. And so I think it's so important that we um, continue to 
take really good care of all of these small makers, cheese makers and farmers and tea makers too. <laughs> <laughs> right. We can't forget they're all great tea makers. We um, love tea. We love tea. <laughs> well, that was something that has stood out to me. Um, a couple things. I mean, one, I feel like the way you guys interpret fresh and local is really interesting as well because it's not in the box. It's not boring. It's always super, super unique and interesting. And of course, for me, I'm always catching my eye. You guys did like a collab with Loria Stern with the edible flowers who I worship at her feet. Um, But I think it's so interesting because as consumers in general, like having this guidepost in your shop, but being a consumer beyond that is super important. And I was going to ask you guys on this concept, which is what does it look like to be involved in the domestic and sustainable food culture? And you kind of just described it. But I'm curious if you had more insight on like how that trickles into the rest of your life or how other people can get better invested in that. Because I agree with you, it's so important. And it's really hard to be a farmer or a cheesemaker. And there's a lot of ethical and sustainable components that go into the bottom line of those businesses? Yeah, I think that, well, first, I always am like trying to recognize that I come from a place of privilege and that I have access to all of this produce, like, in a, in a larger kind of like bird's eye view, we live in California, which has access to the most beautiful produce. Everywhere I travel, I am reminded when I, when we travel, we always find a local farmer's market and I just cannot get over the diversity and beauty of produce that we have and like the year round abundance in California. We're so lucky here. Um, and aside from that, when I'm more like, you know, micro level, just like living in Los Angeles, I live on the West side with access to all of the best farmer's markets And then you go, you know, 10 miles inland from here and there are communities that have zero organic produce. So even within a city that has lots of access, when we talk about seasonality and we call it like hyper seasonality, because literally our boards change week to week with the markets, Mm. we are always aware of like, that's why when we built this business, we're like, the larger we get, we always are trying to figure out how we can partner with organizations to give back and make sure that you know, we're not only supporting our immediate community, but Los Angeles has a larger community. Um, for people that have the means, shopping organic and from the farmer's market, I think there is a big misconception that the farmer's market or organic shopping is always super expensive. And I find that the farmer's market's very reasonable. Um, it's just getting there. Like if you work 40 hours a week trying to go on a Wednesday morning, yeah, can be difficult. Or if you're raising your children or that sort of thing. But that's, if you look up on any city that you live in, Um, usually there's farmer's markets every day of the week and they're at different times, summer afternoon, some morning. So if you're wanting to get in touch with seasons, my number one recommendation is to go to the market because you're going to truly see what's in season in your community, in your area. Um, and then as far as like people that don't have that sort of access, the grocery store is also great. Still, if you shop the organic section, you can still get a pretty good pulse. And then there are tons of cool organizations that do, it started a lot during the pandemic with these like farm boxes that, you know, if you're not sure what you like, that's also a good way to dabble and get in touch with seasons is to find someone where you can get just like a CSA farm box because the half the things in there are things you wouldn't have normally bought. Like maybe you didn't know, like you would never go and just like pick that bunch of turnips, but if it comes in the box, now you're like, oh, what can I do with this? So it's a nice way to explore new produce and in-season produce that's maybe outside of your comfort zone for like a really great low entry price point 
because farmers usually do when they're doing CSAs, it's like bulk and everyone's getting the same thing. So they tend to give like a kind of entry price point or a more like reasonable price point than buying things a la carte off the table. For sure. Well, and I think that the other, I mean, from a business side of things, like what's awesome about supporting what's in season and supporting the farmers directly is that when you're, when we're using what's in season, it's, it, it really comes down to like the education around it, right? Because like we're selling a product that changes every week. And so I think traditionally a lot of people are used to like, I want what the picture looks like. And so you're never going to get the same thing twice because it, like Sarah said, is changing constantly. But I think this big selling point, there's kind of two is that one, it, it's going to taste better than anything <laughs> you're going to get anywhere else. Cause when something's in its peak season, right, it's really shining. And that's really what Sarah, I think spends a lot of time doing is just educating people on this is why we're using these things. And this is why this tastes like this. And this is where you can find this because people ask us all the time, like what's, what makes your boards different or what makes what you guys sell or do at the shop, like taste so good. Like how can I recreate this at home? And go to the market and buy what's in season. Like that's kind of the starting point. Um, there's also, Boo, isn't there like, I feel like there's this huge misconception with beauty around produce and organizations like Imperfect Produce try to do a really good job about educating people on this. But grocery stores are only going to put out what's perfect, completely unblemished product for the most part, because that's what the general consumer has been trained to look for. These like overwaxed apples and, you know, zero blemish products. And at the farmer's market, you get all of the blemish, all of the imperfection, weird shapes, weird sizes, dents, sometimes, you know, marks, like little yeah. modeling on the skin and all of that stuff we search for. We love imperfection because it's like shows individuality. It shows beauty. We really see the beauty in all of that. And we love educating people around like retraining your eye to love that imperfection because we're so used to like grocery store culture, which is the exact opposite. And there's so much food waste associated with well, that. And that's kind of a Bailey. I mean, I feel like you do a lot of, you understand you're in that like home gardening space where it's like you, <laughs> there's preciousness all day. Like every single thing that grows in your backyard is precious and cute and stem on and an individual and darling, you know? And I think that's kind of the appeal of people can, I mean, that's why it's great what you're doing, I think. And there's, it's so, it's so fun to make that, I think, approachable. The education around that's really important because I think when you can understand seasonality and the labor that goes into it, like just anyone that's ever tried to plant anything like yeah. from seed to to harvest, um, it's really difficult and it's hard. If you go, I don't think they charge enough. Oh my gosh. Well, <laughs> I, I was going to say um, like that is... I remember the very first things I ever grew. And I was like, why are my peppers so small? And, you know, I already had some education around like, you know, just grocery store culture and GMOs and like growing practices and ripening practices, which are like mildly horrifying in my opinion. Um, But I just remember being like, oh, like the homegrown vegetable and produce is so different and what I think is so amazing about it is like the taste is so much better. And it's, I mean, beauty and from that component of like the sensory experience only enhances it where I agree. I think it's physically beautiful and adjusting our physical standards of beauty and that transcends vegetables, obviously. But then the taste component, you're just like, oh my gosh, you know, like never again could I buy basil from the store or a tomato. I mean, sometimes we have to, but it's like, oh my gosh. 
it, that's the number one question or feedback thing that happens to us is people take a bite of something, whether it's like a Persian cucumber off a crudite board or a piece of melon on a summer cheese board. And they're just like, the question is, why does this taste so good? And why doesn't it taste like this when I buy it from the grocery store? Yeah. And there's a huge flavor gap between farmer's market, non-GMO produce and mass produced gas ripened produce at the grocery store. It's and it's not just flavor. It's like texture, smell, aroma, all of those things. Um, huge, huge difference. I think a lot of people are operating from that place. Like I, I know Kelly, Sarah's husband, didn't think he liked most vegetables because he never had eaten something. As a kid, he only ate vegetables I from a can. To, I used yeah. to hate tomatoes. Yes. Just didn't understand them. I didn't get the texture. Didn't get what they taste like. And then when I started eating tomatoes in during tomato season, it's now like a love affair for me. Like this period in the summer when they just like that's and that's the only time of year I'll eat them unless you know they're you can find them elsewhere but it's one of those things where I think the more people know about what's exciting and it's kind of fun to like I think Sarah you're just such a good job at home I feel like cooking what's in season I'm like so excited as we're getting into like onions and squash and all of these things that are like so cozy and delicious because um you kind of get like new stuff on the menu, right? Well, okay, hold on. I want to touch on that. Sorry to interrupt you, but Sarah, okay, well, the seasonality thing, I think also is so crazy. Like the fact that you guys honor what's available and fully in season and are not tempted to to cross into what's not is so beautiful. So I want to acknowledge that because I think that's another thing we need to retrain ourselves on is like, actually, you don't get to have tomatoes year round because that's not sustainable and that's not how it really works. Um, but Sarah, you are a trained chef. Is that right? Yes. True story. <laughs> That's a true story. I know. I would <laughs> there's, be. There's an amazing chef. Yes. <laughs> That's it. What were you doing? So what were actually each of you guys doing before Lady and Larder? Um, I could go first. So I, we, we all went to San Diego State. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> um, we did there. And I majored in hospitality and tourism management with a, specific focus on restaurant operations. And I, I had knee surgery my second year and ended up taking summer school and, and graduating a year early. So I graduated in three years and then was like, what's next? So I started working in high-end hospitality. Our dad had started winemaking, which we can talk about later. He's an incredible like vintner. He yes. full process, um, grows grapes and, and makes wine at home. And, and so I got really into wine became a certified SOM, was working in high-end hotels and like kind of front of house hospitality. But I just had this feeling like I just really want to be in the kitchen. I've always been in the kitchen since I was a kid. I knew that my heart was there. And so I decided after a year or two of working in hotels that I was going to go back to school to become a trained chef. So I took a um, French culinary arts program from Le Cordon Bleu. And while I was doing that, was started working in restaurants, started as, you know, line cook, And that kind of evolved when I was in culinary school, I had an instructor that thought that the visuals, my plate ups were really interesting. And he said, have you ever considered food styling? And then I started working with, I didn't even know that was a job. I was like, what do you mean? What is that? And I learned that there's commercial food styling, editorial food styling, and for cookbooks, and there's all sorts of you know, specialty industry food styling jobs. So I started freelance food styling, which brought me back to LA. I remember yeah. that like, phase <laughs> of your career. I've been following. I've been following. I remember that. It was cool. I learned so much and got to work with so many you know interesting people during that time. And then 
and then I got into private chefing. I landed, you know, I came to LA, opened a big hotel where I met my husband down in Newport coast, then came and worked with my family's restaurant group for a little bit and then landed this dream job, um, that I stayed with for about six years, private chefing for a family in Malibu area that I also traveled and chefed for. And then that evolved into another private chef job after that. And it was during that end of the first client and that first six year stint that I was making these cheese boards Mm. for all of their entertaining needs and posting them on Instagram. And that's kind of what started the idea of, you know, that, that was the kind of kickoff for the business the seed, I guess, was planted. What about you, Boo? Yeah, I mean, San Diego State, like where Bailey and I met too. Um, Sarah and I obviously had very different paths at San Diego State. I joined a sorority and got into like that whole um, side of things and and different stuff on campus. I made I was an art major, so we were in totally different buildings. Um, but I ended up majoring in multimedia art and having grown up kind of, working in restaurants and around restaurants, I, it was a natural place to kind of get into, I was working in hotels, um, always like in the hospitality industry, but doing, you know, marketing and design stuff in that space. Um, it's funny how you kind of come back to like whatever, wherever your heart is with things. Um, and then worked a bunch of different jobs up the coast until I landed a marketing job in Orange County. And then kind of worked in a corporate marketing world. Um, I've been doing that for the last 13 years and I've learned so much and it was really fun. Like for the period when Sarah was styling, um, I was usually her photographer and we did all kinds of fun jobs and got really into kind of that side of things. Um, and we've always kind of like worked together on things between jobs. Um, like Sarah's wedding was one of the things where we kind of created something together and then realized like, this is really fun. And we kind of fill in the blanks for each other. One of us had, um, we both had an eye to understand what looked good and what was great, but we brought different strengths to the table. And so I think when we sat down and had the idea for Lady and Larder, um, it was really natural because it's kind of like when you draw it on paper, it's like, all right, you take over this stuff and I'll do this part. And then I think we can, let's see if it works. Yeah. <laughs> you know? well, and there was like, we were, we were in our, so we, nine years ago, next week, we did my wedding in Big Sur and we weren't officially doing events, but we were sort of co-producing events like word of mouth, small ones for people on the side. And then that wedding got picked up and had like an incredible amount of press. We were so lucky that we ended up with this like pretty significant spread in Martha Stewart, um, wedding magazine and people, you know, because you're like listed in the back (laughs) as the source for everything, we started getting calls to, produce events and parties and pop-ups. And that's when we really knew like, oh, we love working together. We want to figure out a way to do this. And it was through the next couple years of jobs that like once, you know, once the idea for Lady and Larder came together, we were, I was, you know, I think three weeks after we, we bought the website domain, I found out I was pregnant with my son Maverick. Oh. And 
I think if it had been reversed, I don't know if I would have had the guts mm. to like continue with building the business, but it was like, oh, we're already started. So we're just going to roll with it. Yeah. And we were very specific. I think there's this like, especially in hospitality and food and beverage, if you work in restaurants, like you work a lot of nights, a lot of weekends, and it's like, how can we do what we love and build an intentional business that also closes at six o'clock and gets us home for dinner? Yeah. Like I want to be the mom that gets to be home and have dinner with my son and bathe him and snuggle before bedtime. And so we started thinking ahead to like what the next decade of our lives looked like. And we thought like, let's build a business that works for the life that we want. And also like, what a privilege to be able to build a business around something that we genuinely care about and we're excited about every day. And we get to do it together. It's like, is this even real? Yes. Well, I feel like you, that is a bit, that exudes, like that comes out through the brand and you guys working together. Um, And you've always, I know, and I didn't mention this in the very beginning, you're not only sisters, you're twins, but um, it does seem like you guys have this great compliment and you're both creative, but in different ways. And, um, I just think it's a, such a beautiful partnership and it's just so cool, but you can see through your brand. And I, I know you guys still do little pop-ups here and there and things like that. Um, just how much you guys love each other, but also what you're doing. And I think it's incredible as well to see two women who are mothers totally own that for their lives. Like you said, like creating a business that works for you and your values and your legacy and your goals and having it absolutely thrive. Like, I think that's insane. It's so amazing. Yeah, we we like straight up strap our kids on and bring them to work with us if we need to. Maverick has been on his share of deliveries. At five days old, he was strapped to me back in the kitchen doing holiday boards. Like they're we let them see all of it. We let them see the busyness, the messiness. They will hopefully grow up and know that they have really hardworking moms, not afraid to be that person. And um, we also both are so lucky that we have spouses and partners that support that and, and, and like let us do those big things and pick up the slack at home because we definitely came from a much more classic Mm. generation where it was like stay at home, mom, full-time working dad. So we kind of flipped that whole thing on its head a bit. And we definitely both, you know, divide the tasks, however it needs to be. Like my husband does a fair amount of, he does all of the drop off and pick up for my son. He, you know, picks up any slack at home if I'm late at a, on a call or an event or, any of those sort of things. And we just kind of make it work for us. That's so amazing. Now, okay, boo. So I knew like bits and pieces. It's so funny. I was thinking about this. We went to college together and I feel like, I mean, those college, we're entirely different beings, like on a cellular level at this point. Um, But like just, you know, the boo I knew is you have evolved so much as a person, but for both of you as well, Um, I realized how little I knew about your upbringing. All I could remember was thinking, oh my gosh, I wish that was my family and that I grew up and I have this picture of your dad's vineyard at the house in Carmel. And I don't know much more, but I thought there were other vegetables being grown, but I didn't know much about your parents. So I wanted to hear more about how you girls were raised and like how that you feel like that's played into the business. Oh, it's like a, it's a huge part of, I think, just our mentality and like the way we think about food. Um, our parents uh, have huge kind of 
beds. My parents were both actually have green thumbs. Like since we were little, little kids, my dad, um, there's four of us siblings. And so my dad would always, my mom and dad would like split us up on weekends to like kind of conquer all. Mm. And so you were either going to the grocery store and helping somebody with dinner, or you were going to pick up flats of flowers and helping dad garden or plant whatever needed to be planted. We always, um, my parents always were planting. It was like rotating beds of things. I felt like all the time. Um, I love that. And mom did hanging baskets for a while. So I remember like the whole she moss. She was so into like the moss, the mossy like, hanging baskets. That is coming back. <laughs> like she's yeah. like, that's coming back. I remember yeah. the smell so distinctly of the soaking moss. Thing. Yeah. Um, and so like there was, yeah, I remember the smell of moss too. And this was like at when we lived in Los Angeles. So it was like a pretty like standard house with like a small backyard and a little bit, and a pretty good size, like front yard on a corner where most of the flowers were. But like, I think all of the green thumb stuff with our parents like exploded when we were 12 and our family relocated to like Monterey Peninsula area and Carmel Valley because we had a couple acres then and oh. chickens and a vineyard and fruit and trees. I- and my mom like became a very serious rose gardener mm. and <laughs> what and we dream. got exposed to so many, so many things during that time. Both of our parents are just like love getting their hands dirty and love-, love nature like eternal learners and experimenters and they both like my dad I, he always there's always a stack of like just reading material on the nightstand or next to him and I feel like I mean, he was self-taught as far as growing wine goes and so we watched for years as like this project it takes years to establish like mm. grapes and have them actually like it's like an ongoing science experiment like an entire section of the garage was turned into like this lab yeah and it still is and it's it's so much fun because we I remember once we got into college when you know you're timing the grapes based off of um sugar content right like when the harvest is going to happen and so my dad would kind of have us on call and be like I think we're it's going to be around this time but then as soon as it was ready like he would basically like call us all and be like, can you come home this weekend and like help? Yeah. Crushes on Saturday. Be there. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I love that so, so much. We get home and like help um, harvest everything. And it's always just like been small, you know, I guess it's all relative, but small scale. It's for fun. Yeah. Like they do a lot of these projects. My mom tr- turns her rose petals into teas and she's constantly growing um, like what she really into right now, Sarah, like pears, right? I feel like the pear thing's been going on. Well, we, she planted these fruit trees. And as you know, well, most people probably know when you plant a fruit tree, it takes four or five years to start getting fruit. So she has all, she has pomegranates and figs and pears and apples and just peaches. She has all sorts of fruit trees. And she started this thing every year where you put the bottle over the little tiny pears when they're like Mm. the size of a quarter and then they grow inside the glass bottles. And then you make pear brandy with a full size pear in the bottle. Stop yourself. That's insane. That sounds incredible. When you go home, it just has like all these glass bottles on the pear tree. And then she clips them and does this like beautiful holiday pear brandy. I'm going to send one. You can bring one over, Bailey, so you can see it. I'll die. I want to be her. Oh yeah. But that's like... That's the magic. I mean, they make their own limoncello. They yes. make their own charcuterie. Like we literally say this all the time. Like they're our favorite people. We want to be them when we grow up. They just like, they're so cool. They're so cool. And so I, I think there was a big part of growing up where we thought that was normal. Like I remember for dinner, like we had a mandatory family dinner on Sundays. Like you weren't allowed to be at a friend's house. Like you had to be at, the, at home for that night. I love that. But even during the week, my mom always cooked. Um, like we didn't, we ate out. 
once in a while. But when once we got like into school and I feel like we, my mom cooked and now as, as a mom with and I have small, you know, two small kids. Yeah. But like the, now I understand why this woman was like at the grocery store in the backyard or cooking all day just to like get meals on the table every night. It's so much work. It's so, yeah. Um, but I remember like getting, being told, you know, Sarah and I would go out and like someone would clip the lettuce and we'd wash it and cut it. And I, I just thought that was a normal part of what people did. Yeah. And so like, I, I have these memories of going to friends' houses to spend the night. And then when dinner time would come around, like I would walk in the kitchen and be like, Hey, how can I help? Like, and they just kind of, the parents would and the parents would be like, who are these yeah, kids? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, this is normal, right? Like we all put this together. Like it just, it, I remember being around like an awkward, awkward age when I realized like, Oh my God, like this is not, we're not, everyone does this. Like not everyone ate gross food in their backyard, but not a lot of people, this isn't like a thing they do together. Yeah. Um, and so I think we started to realize how special that was and we enjoyed it more the more we realized like how lucky we kind of were to have parents um, that that made the dinner table a sacred place. 100%. I love that. But I feel <laughs> like kind of I feel like you guys are doing that like you're in your own way. I'm sure you're doing that at home as well, but like together with the business too. Um, I think that's really beautiful like connection. Well, Boo's like Boo always says that the cheese boards are magnets for human connection. And like, she couldn't be more right. Anything that's like a shared plate where you're reaching across each other and, you know, both eating off of the same surface just creates such real human connection, something that everyone is just so hungry for, especially in the last, you know, year or so. But I mean, that's the best part. Like there are so many meals in my life where I don't know if it was how good the restaurant was or if it was the company. Mm. And that's really the most important part. It's like the person that's sitting across from you makes or breaks what that meal is. And we're, you know, if the food is great, that's a bonus. But the most magical meals that I've ever been a part of are 100% because of the humans on the other side of the table. And then when you, I think, add that plus, and this is kind of where I think what Bailey is living, which is this like extreme... It's a, it's the coolest. I mean, to be able to garden the way you do and, and enjoy food and and I was <laughs> taking notes. I'm like, not to go off track for a second, but like the last episode you did about like October seasonality, <laughs> like losing my mind. Like, wait a second, this is so beyond eating. Like, we're making <laughs> onion masks and I need to be eating garlic. And I'm like writing down. I have to go back. I was driving when I was listening to part of it. So I was like, oh my god, I have to like go back and write this all down. Like, Stop that you're using makes my day ingredients in a way that are like. You're, you're, just, you're living like this garden is literally like supplying everything you need for wellness and for energy and for food. And I think that we How much, yeah. are trying to do that kind of with the shop, yeah. right? Like you're just trying to supply people with something that they are ultimately going to enjoy. And it's going to help make that experience, that picnic at the beach, that birthday celebration, whatever it is, the reason you're coming to us, like we're just helping create that moment for you wherever that is. Yeah. Well, and I think there's magic in that. And that's why like I've made a very, very concerted and deliberate and intentional effort for this to be such a big part of my personal life and to try and like inspire other people to do it too is I feel like when the little things become the big things and like when growing your own garlic becomes like a whole body system situation, but then also like you guys are doing with charcuterie and 
even like the DIY kits and everything is you're creating a cause for every day, something very every day to be a celebration and to be magical and whimsical and beautiful in its own right. And I think that um, we've like, I don't know, I had felt like I had lost that in my life. And I felt very disconnected from my own roots. And I think a lot of people feel that way, because we're just living a very disconnected existence just by the true nature of, of, quote unquote, progress and technology and convenience and comfort and all those things that I think actually really dole out character. Okay, real quick, I want to tell you about the Kitchen Garden Society. It's my monthly gardening club for all levels of gardener and in all U.S. hardiness zones. We're helping gardeners everywhere save time, maximize your yield, and build your true instincts. Each month in the Kitchen Garden Society, you get a to-do list of what to be harvesting, sowing, and transplanting, as well as what you should tend and task to. You get seasonal recipes and deep dive timely lessons to accompany the skills you're going to need in the garden this time of year. We hear from experts each month and get daily inspiration for seasonal living, as well as the opportunity to share and ask questions in our members-only Facebook group. I hope you'll visit us at thekitchengardensociety.com and check it out. That 100% connects to, I think, why people can feel so disconnected to the food they're eating and not fully understand like why things aren't tasting the way they want or maybe not fully even experiencing like the delight and joy you should have when you're eating certain things. And I think Sarah, Sarah talks about it all the time. Like when you had your kind of aha moment on our trip to, um, to Nice, there's this kind of indigenous seasonality, like the sense of place. Mm -hmm. Like we're not eating food that is created from where you're from, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. When you're not experiencing food on a local scale with things that are made locally near you by people near you with ingredients that are grown there, it's not all fully making sense. Yeah. Um, Yeah. The Europeans like really got sense of place. What Boo's talking about is this trip we went on where we were going to meet our family and Boo and I had flown from London to Nice and went to the farmer's market. So we're like kind of on the coast they're about to go over the border into Italy and we were eating some cheese on a stall and the farmer turned around and pointed to the animals on the island behind him across some ocean water and was like, that's where we make the cheese. Like those are literally the animals the milk is from. And I just remember crying, like weeping in this farmer's market because I, I was so overwhelmed by the sense of place. And I felt that way the whole trip. You're every town you're in, you're drinking wine that's made on the hillside, like across from the restaurant. And when we got home from that trip, I just had this overwhelming, like, why don't I feel that mm-hmm. here? I don't ever feel that. Well, and how can we create something that that feels that way? Yeah, you know, in our own community. Well, and I think that sense of place too is. I, I think that's beautiful and incredible, and just yes, all the yes. Um, but I think what it does too, is it's like, it becomes a sensory experience. And when your senses are overwhelmed in a good way, it creates so much presence. And then that sense of place can come through because you're like, I'm here, I'm smelling it, I'm feeling it, I'm all in. And like, I believe we were designed to like exist in that state. Um, Bailey just gave me goosebumps. That's it. Like it's so hard in the current day and age to feel present. It's hard for me every day like yeah. to just like when I get home, decompress and be present in my own household with so many 
apps and things and <laughs> streaming. Yeah. There's just like things everywhere, right? And when a food experience can be that emotional, you have no other choice but to be just in that moment, tasting it, smelling it. And it, it is, it's like, it pulls you to this place that's just so overwhelmingly present. And it's something that feels really good and human. And, and I it's think that ties back to what you were saying before, Bailey, on how like the, with everything becoming processed and us kind of losing track of like how we eat and how we prepare our food and where we grow our food and where we buy our food, right? Like, I think losing track of all that dining and eating for a lot of people is lost. Yeah. Like it's, it can be a rushed period. It can be something for, I know I still know people I had a period in my life where I ate over a kitchen sink, you know, yeah. I get like there's certain periods where like you are living in different, you know, with different things going on and you have access to different things and different budgets and all that stuff. But I think no matter what, um, the more we can educate ourselves on seasonality and gardening and, and farmer's market and understanding, like if you can't grow it in your backyard and I've even, you know, there's so much cool urban farming going on now where like people are like claiming these areas of their sidewalk and you don't even need a huge area, right. To kind of celebrate and understand um, the seasons and growing and kind of the effort that goes into all that. But the more that we can get all this information out and educate people that want to know more and want to, at it um i think that the less scary it is because yeah. i remember even for me sarah goes to the farmer's market as, as a chef she was there regularly all the time you know like this was a place she was very comfortable walking into having conversations around like for me i remember the first like many times going where i was just nervous holding cash like yeah. talking to a farmer directly about like what things cost and how much like why would i be nervous about that i don't know because i go to a grocery store yeah. and we don't normally have to like talk about what we're about to purchase or pick it up and ask. It's not, you know, you kind of have to retrain your brain to ask. It's okay to ask questions or to try something or, you know, it's like a whole different way of going back to the simple way I think of experiencing it. I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, Bailey, how much of your household do you buy produce outside of what you grow? Yeah. What percentage do you grow? Um, yeah. Outsource. Yeah. No, I, so it depends on the season. Uh, and this is my first year. I have 10 raised beds right now. And before that I had two, so it's been a big difference. And of course I like chose it's, it's a lot of work and, um, I'm in a phase of my life being pregnant with two little kids, five and under that it's like, okay, we're keeping a lot of things alive. Um, but I would say, (laughs) you know what I mean? Um, I would say we're like around 50% of produce I can grow right now, hopefully pushing to 75 when I just have more capacity and better planning and know my microclimate better. I had a lot of failure this year, getting my beds dialed in and which is totally normal, completely maddening. Um, but then the other, I would say majority truly is from a local farm, um, which is just down the street. And it's we did like a CSA box for a while. And then I'm pretty specific, like I know what I want to cook, I don't feel like I need to explore it as much. So I'll just go down to the farm stand and the kids love going. And so I, I like very rarely buy anything from the actual grocery store that is produce or meat. I have all my meat like uh, sourced and either shipped to me or just locally sourced. 
um, which I love. All my herbs I've been able to grow for the past few years. So I really haven't had to buy anything other than like a bizarrely, like a, you know, star anise or something like that. Um, and so, yeah, I make it pretty proud of that because it's a lot of work, but it's, I just, you know, that was, that was the point was I actually, I wanted it to be hard work for me, for my kids. Um, and for, yeah. So it's, I mean, the goal would be obviously 100% to grow everything your own and, and eat that, that purely. But I also think that there's even more beauty in the community aspect. Um, and that I, I don't think we could exist without, I grow cucumbers really well and you grow radishes really well. Let's trade or let's sell to each other. Like I think that whole component of it as well is much more sustainable and actually creates really incredible bonds. Um, so yeah, but I mean, growing in a small space, I would consider myself still not the, you know, not postage stamp, but still, you know, we don't have acreage by any means. So you have to get creative. Incredible every day, but oh my goodness! Well, I just I can't even imagine. Like, I guess in my own day, trying to figure out like the time of all, it just seems like it's such a commitment, and it's so cool, and it's really fun to watch because I feel like I can live through you, like until the time comes. Yeah. When I, like, <laughs> like I still have a backyard with piles of dirt. Like we got everything taken out, but we haven't planted anything because I'm just like, afraid to start. Yes. But Okay. I'm going to keep learning until I'm in a comfortable space. <laughs> I need to come over. But no, but that is, it is honestly like that is, I get the same thing when you kind of get gridlock about it because there's so much you want to do and it becomes like somewhat overwhelming and there's lots of choices and soil health and like it becomes a big time, money, emotional investment, truly. Um, and so I think it's kind of similar. Gardening can be really similar to like entrepreneurship where you just have to real success lies in being able to stomach the ups and downs of it all. Like that's the hardest part of it is like being on the roller coaster and like not losing your lunch over it. Um, at least my husband and I always talk about that where it's like the hardest part about owning your own business is truly just like riding the the highs and lows. Um, yeah, but the highs aren't even like, I always tell Maverick this when he was like upset the other day, I was like, the highs wouldn't be fun if we didn't have the lows to compare it to. Like, yeah. how do you know it's a high day? You know, you, you, you wouldn't even know it was a high day if you hadn't experienced something other than that. I love that. And I really, and then, so I ever, when, when I have rough moments, I always try and go there. And I love that you use the term roller coaster because I, I, it's 100% is that there are like ebbs and flows and ups and downs. And some days are really hard and some days you're pinching yourself. Yeah, totally. But, um, I, I think that the balance of the two is like, you know, what, how you even know when, when a good day is happening. <laughs> totally agree. Totally agree. And that's like, I think that's, I think all humans can benefit. And this is going to lead me into my next question for you guys. And I don't know the answer. So I'm excited, but I think like everyone can benefit from the beauty of like seeing a seed turn into a seedling, turn into a vegetable, turn into something you can consume. Like that never gets old. And then when you do fail, it makes the successes so much more hard earned where you're just like, I'm doing it. Like I'm do, I still have those moments where I'm like, no, I like grew this. <laughs> um, but that brings me, I wanted to ask if either of you guys garden or houseplant raise or what your, what your status is with, with plants. I have so many plant babies. I don't even 
I don't even know how many. Like I, I think Sean actually like questioned moving in with me when he first saw my apartment originally because he was just like, well, where do these go? Like when when he like when we move into the new place, you know? I was like, well, they all come. They all they all they're all coming with us. Um, and so. I think houseplants, especially like during the pandemic, it got really weird. Who was propagating so like a thousand plants? She's arms. Yeah. I just started yes. like, yeah, I just had jars everywhere. I was like collecting jars from my neighbor's <laughs> trash to like grow. <laughs> I love plants. that so much. Um, it got really weird. And, but it was great because then you could also gift them, give them to yes. other people. Um, and I'm actually really impressed like with how. I still have so many that have survived for so many years and you like moving, you know, like moving always is traumatic. I feel like with a lot of plants, just certain, certain guys, you take them out of, you you rotate them the wrong way in a window. And it's like, Oh my God, carry the pothos. I know. We we're losing this big tree because I changed like the lighting slightly in this one spot. Um, So I feel like I'm constantly Googling and like trying to figure out before I do anything like with, you know, I think we, it's hard. The plant thing, it feels like they feel like living like pieces of your life. And so anytime something starts to react in a way where you're like, you've been great for months, but all of a sudden, like, why are you turning yellow? And I swear I didn't overwater yes. you. And we have a watering day in our house. Yeah. And like in a while, someone will, for some rogue reason, think that they need to water on the non-watering day. And this is this is grounds for a real issue in our household. I'm like, if we overwater it, it's done. It's never coming back. It's over. Um, boo, boo definitely is the reason that I got into house plants, but it just feels good even just to have a handful of them. I feel like the air is cleaner in my house. I feel like there's more life oh, yeah. in the walls. That's science. I mean, and that, which is so true. And houseplants, I have a hard time with houseplants for some ungodly unknown reason. I like cannot keep them alive. And so I think I just have weird resentment towards houseplants. But my godmother has like a 38-year-old houseplant that's stunning. And it's like, that is incredible. Like I, that is, that's the only thing I want to inherit at the end of the day. (laughs) And we were joking about that. And like, I want the plant. Yeah. And then like for actual gardening, when I was in like the 10-year period where I was private chefing, I spent so many times working, so many hours a day working in the gardens of my clients that I never had a garden at home. Yeah. I was never home, but I got experience working in a lot of other people's beautiful raised bed gardens and orchards and all of that sort of thing. At home, I tend to be one of, I I love growing my own herbs. There's nothing better. It's so easy. I feel like that's a gateway for people to get into gardening is like, start with a couple of herbs. Or if you don't have space, like in the window, in your kitchen window, you don't need a lot of space to do it. Yep. And it's so rewarding so quickly. And I never, ever use scallions without putting them in a cup of water on my, on my windowsill and growing like, you know, two or three more times and using them. Once David Chang told me that he did that. And I was like, Oh, like I listened to him talk about it. And I was like, Oh, I'm never throwing out scallion bottoms again. Yeah. They literally grow back in like three days. It's incredible. incredible. That's like a great project for little kids too. Same with like romaine. I don't think romaine will ever Mm -hmm. regrow enough for like to replace like a heart like you would want, but it's so cool. So cool. And then like little tomatoes, like sun golds, those are like tend to be pretty user friendly and easy to grow. Cherry tomatoes, that sort of thing. I have a fig tree that I planted when we moved into our house that's giant now and a couple olive trees that are finally bearing fruit this year. But that's it for I I hope that 
in the next couple of years that we're in a place where we can like do more home gardening. And in the meantime, I just buy the produce from all the other people farming beautiful stuff. Yes. I love that. I love that. Well, um, thank you ladies for just sharing your essence with me. It's so fun to just chat all the things and like get passionate about (laughs) seasonality and the flavor gap and all these beautiful things. It's just been an honor to have you guys on here. Thank you so much having us it was so good just to hear your voice and i'm so excited about your podcast so much um, this is i look forward to coming down and visiting and seeing all the new beds because i've been following your project as well and it is impressive to see where you are at in (laughs) your garden grateful that we have a resource now boo to like ask we have someone that's leading the way and home gardening that's incredible 100% and I mean the newsletter I feel feel like the the podcast is going to be great too because I'm a like an avid podcast listener and it's so much easier when you're on the move to like plug in and listen at least I'm better about like listening than reading information so I'm really glad to hear that I thought you are so sweet to to listen and share yeah I'm trying to get into the groove of of what 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 information goes where but similar to you like podcasts I look forward to them I'm like dishes laundry like done I got a podcast queued up like and it's um, it's a the deeper connection, the long form content is so I mean, it, literally, I think I could make it play into anything. But I think it plays into even what we're all talking about, like more presence, more enrichment, more depth, more authenticity, like it's just super rewarding on those fronts. Um, and being able to just hear someone long form share about something, I feel like it really like resonates better. And it, it's easier to teach in that way. Amen to that. I love it. Will you guys enjoy the rest of your day? And I just can't wait for us all to be together in person someday. Some barbecue down in your neighborhood soon. Where it's at. Heritage. Let's go. I love it. All right. I'll talk all to right. you ladies later. Right. I love you, Bailey. Bye. Bye. I hope this episode has been balm for the soul and inspiration for the heart. I would love if you left a review to let me know your thoughts or anything you're interested in learning. And I'm so grateful that you found this space. For more information on any techniques, recipes, or ideas mentioned, visit us at baileyvantassel.com slash podcast.